Did you know that the first successful parachute jump from a moving airplane was made by Captain Barry in St. Louis in 1912? No joke. Next time you head into the 314, skip jumping from Yelp to Facebook to Hotels.com, Instagram, and all those other sites to try to piece together what you want to do. Just go to ExploreSTL.com, and they'll help you pull your trip all together in one spot. Now, today's guest, we got Ty Kehoe, a true U.S. soccer legend who happens to be from Yep, you guessed it, St. Louis. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Know what I'm doing there? Yeah, I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of the cold, and I'm sick of the, the wet. I mean, do we live in Seattle? I, you, no. No, I can... The, the rain is just kind of a byproduct. We well, definitely the, do not live in Seattle. The fog. I mean... What do you mean? It's the fog Here? the last couple days has been brutal. <clears throat> it's been weird. Wake up in the morning. Yeah. It's like I, li- living in London. <laughs> I was about to say it's very Harry Potter-ish. I wake up every morning. I'm like, Hufflepuff. <laughs> How we doing, Jared? Well. You ready for another episode? I'm ready for this one. This is a checkmark list guy. Um, in our game, um, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, ditto. I concur. Uh, we've been on a run at our house with uh, submarine movies. Uh, Hunt for Red October. Uh, what's the one with Gene Hackman? Um, him and Denzel. Do you remember that one? I don't. Oh, my God. I'm un- drawing it. I'm drawing jo- jo- it. Our guest knows it. We'll, we'll get it in a little bit. <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> but my, my son, 10-year-old, loves them. Like, he's like, can we watch another sub movie? I'm like, well, there's not a lot, many that I can keep showing a 10-year-old. But the other day, his mom said something, and he's and she's like, are you listening? He goes, I concur, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, time for another episode. Uh, we are out at your, this is your Mecca. Yeah, this is, um, this is my, one of my favorite places in the world. This place, growing up here. Just make you, you like Amsterdam. This place here for me is. I'm just happy. Did you uh, did you walk in and just kind of put your hand on the glass, kind of like a, the the Vietnam Memorial? You're just leaning on the wall and looking out at Field One. You know, a little bit I did, but I was kind of walking around because I got here a little earlier than you did, and I was completely content. And they're going through a little um, remodel, and the guy that's going to help us with the intro today had one of the best ideas ever. They have now turfed in between over the blacktop between fields two and three. So, is it how much sp- sense does that make? So, is it sponsored by Band Aid? Maybe. <laughs> no, no, no more, uh, no more concrete. Uh, we have a guest, uh, uh, carpool co-host for our intro today because uh, Zach, as you well know, if you listen to the show last last episode, he just forgot, didn't show up, <laughs> and went bowling or something like that. Um, and today he's running a little late because, you know, he's got uh, car duties. Uh, so today, to help us with the opening, we've got the Mr. Steve Petcher. What's up, Patch? Uh, not too much. Good to be back. <clears throat> Good to be back. We're going to we're gonna have to get a, like a fixed mic out here, you know, just for you. We, we, we keep doing these out here. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, think, I, think, I think you should take a more active role in the show. 
You guys let me know when you know? and where. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll do that for sure. We'll keep it going. Um, I want to real quickly thank some of our supporters. Um, two in particular. Number one, Ambush. Uh, the, the whole team out there, uh, they're so good to us in, in spreading the episodes, telling our stories. Um, you, you get out there. Support indoor soccer. It's a lot of fun and super fast. In fact, I believe I saw a video of a an insanely awful dance <laughs> dad dance cam I, I saw the dad dance <laughs> yeah, cam video see. i was on the dad dance cam at this weekend <laughs> my wife goes get up and dance and i'm like no and then i got up and then like i'm like i was gonna do it for uh, five seconds and um here, here we are i'm i'm right on it right away and i'm like oh i sat back down she's like get up and then they put back to me and i was wondering why we picked up so many followers like oh my that, that had ambush jerseys did on. you take your shirt off like jason kelsey <laughs> no i did not do that that would have been not. good and i'm not a great dancer either uh, i can tell you i concur <laughs> I concur, Max. Can I find that somewhere? Yeah. Uh, yes, I'll forward it to you. Okay. Well, I, I tell you what, actually, I think it's it deserves its own TikTok. Yeah. So it's coming. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, so thanks, Ambush, uh, Shelly, and team over there, P, etc. Thanks for supporting us. Uh, Explore St. Louis, uh, ExploreSTL.com. Uh, appreciate everything you guys do for us as well. Uh, if you are, you know, because tournament season's upon us. Uh, a lot of individuals listening to this show have kids that are on teams that are going to be coming into the market and they're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, don't go stay 30, 40 miles out and just commute in and go right back out to the hotel lobby. Go downtown, stay near, uh, go to city museum, do a bunch of cool shit. Don't, don't do the cracker barrel in the morning and then come out here. And yeah, go to egg kids. in midtown. Yeah, right? Plenty of Ooh. options. So in case you're wondering what to do, explorestl.com. Go check it out. Uh, Chris, Bill, and Pete, the Pinnacle Loans fellers, uh, thanks for all you do, which brings us to the Pinnacle Points of the day. I'll go first. Um, you're prepared today. Pinnacle one. Well, I mean, I'm just. it's all coming together here. We're at Soccer Park. We just talked about the ambush. We just talked about my awesome dance moves. Saturday, uh, went to the game. Uh, ambush comes out on top. To, well, first off, today, let me back up. Today, we have indoor um, royalty on the show, in the intro and in the in the show here, but um, as our guest. So uh, just staying in the indoor world, 8-3 to three win, Baltimore Blast. Um, they scored early. They scored heavy. Um, they got a result they needed. Um, I, I think they're doing good. But but what I want to bring up, we're at Soccer Park. Um Paulo, the the goalkeeper um, coach uh, yeah. here with the club, he's 38 years old. He played his hundredth career game for the ambush. Yeah, I saw that. So that's my pinnacle point. Playing a hundred games um, for an indoor team with the um, the the movement of the franchises and the, the the teams folding, and that's a pretty good feat. And, and congratulations to Paulo. Congratulations, and Scott Gallagher's uh, lucky to have him. No, I agree. I love Paolo. He's a he's a class act, and uh, the skin, like when you look at those, like my m your wife, my wife, all wives, they also are big fans of Paolo. Yeah, yeah, he's a good looking <laughs> dude. <laughs> uh, Pet, Pet, you got you got one on the fly here. I'm ready if you need a little more time to prep. No, I'm fine. Um, my pinnacle point would be maybe opened up a little discussion here on uh, St. Louis City players they have moved. 
Yeah. Um, where does Caden Glover fit in to this team at this point? I know he's down at preseason camp. Yeah. Um, and really just real short version of what do we think they're going to look like this spring or this summer? Yeah, I think the young player uh, movement is, is, I mean, it's uh, it, it's a great conversation because we don't know. We haven't seen it yet, not to this level. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up because one, the other player that I really want to talk about and it kind of ties into our last episode with uh, Coach Seabolt from Missouri State, for this reason, Miggy Perez. Mm-hmm. You know, Miggy, uh, huge splash out of the gate, cool, you know, uh, high school kid found from the local clubs, goes, scores the goal, you know, gets injured. The rest of the season is kind of silent. Uh, we know that he was going through a lot of rehab, et cetera, and then news breaks last week. He's uh, loaned out to uh, Birmingham. Birmingham, yep. USL. Yep. And, you know, mind you, he's 18, yep. uh, still 18. So hopefully things go well for him there and, you know, progresses, you know, but the reality is things happen. If it is a stagnation, um, you know, he's one of those kids that have been in these conversations we've been having post Missouri State and the international versus domestic players. Uh, if, if, if something happens, I would hate for him to, like, not have more options, you know, because we're at the point where. He can't go back to college to play. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think right. they're doing the right thing. He's going down to get minutes. and It's up to I him agree. to get those minutes and work his way back into that first team. And they'll have him if he proves himself. I'm going back to Caden because we talked off mic a little bit. Caden specifically, I've been watching a little bit of the social media stuff coming out of there. Caden, his body type, his size, he looks like he belongs. He, he's big, he's shifty, he's fast. What I will say is with our style of play and having that true nine um, with Geo exiting to uh, the Italian side, um, I think the dev chart is Sam, Klaus, somewhere in there. And then Caden fits in with, with the amount of games they're going to play with the Open Cup, the CONCACAF, the League Cup. And who knows what they do with the Open Cup with the announcement. Hopefully U.S. Soccer says, hey, MLS, you're in the Open Cup. We'll see how that goes. They're going to need big bodies that can eat minutes because their style of play is not conducive to starting 1-9 and playing every game. So Caden, I think, is going to get his shot this year. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I mean, you you look at that kid, walked past him the other day. I mean, he's a beast. So best of luck to him here on the, you know, on the season coming up. Uh, I got a pinnacle point of the day. I'm going to go across the pond. I I actually, I I didn't do this for you, Patch, but it just so happens that uh, the boys in blue, the blues, Chelsea, uh, you know, in spite of kind of not the best of seasons, right? I mean... Tenth is not you don't hang your hat on that, but made it to the final. How, how do you pronounce that? Cup, Carab- Caribou is how I pronounce it. Carab- Carabao Cup, uh, a repeat of last year's final against uh, the Liverpool Reds. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Chelsea's gonna I don't know two one us Cole goal. Um, <laughs> well, as we're talking optimism, Chelsea also plays Aston Villa tomorrow. Yes, Friday in the FA Cup. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're uh, they're clawing back. They're coming back, Jared. They're yeah. young and they're talented, so they just got to put it together. I mean, I think they've they've taken on transfers from every continent. I mean, what, do they have 40, 50 people in the program at this uh, point? No, they've only got twenty four in London, but they do have about <laughs> seven hundred and twelve on loan. Yeah. <laughs> I heard the other day that they're still in that mid forty range. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, they. Uh, it's funny because the, the the business of that level, Chelsea. When you look at their bottom line, they they ironically are almost always a net zero team because of loans, transfers, sales. In spite of selling or buying. Yeah, it's all the loans. Yeah, everybody that's out on loan, they don't pay for those guys. Yeah, can you imagine if we had everybody back too? <laughs> Mo Salah and De Bruyne. Yeah, uh, list goes on and on and on. Anyway, uh, good luck to Chelsea. Uh, we are going to go ahead and take a quick break, uh, refill. We're going to bring our guest on, get this thing going because it looks like uh, Zachary showed up, didn't he? Big time. I seen him walk in. He looks great. Looks like he Look, went to the gym yeah, today. Yeah, he looks chipper. <laughs> All right, we're out here at Talk Park. Thank you, Patch, for joining us. Uh, we are going to be right back after the break with guests for the day. Catch you on the other side. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. All right. Refill time. Uh, Aaron, know you're listening. Uh, I am drinking Modelo. In case you're wondering. <laughs> Aaron, if you're listening, there was no Modella left when I got here. <laughs> Don't tell her. <laughs> a little middle of the light. We're back. We're out here at Sock Park. Uh, we just had a little intro with our friend Petch uh, kicking us off. Um, I'm rolling us in here with a little... Uh, you don't know what it is yet, do you? I don't. I'm thinking my guest might. I think he probably has a guess. A guess. Guess, do you have a guess as to the tune? This tune? It almost sounds like Rush. It's pretty close. Pretty close. I'm, I'm going back to that Triumph. 8081 Keishi Classics. Thinking back to the barn. This My dad would have been playing this as he's lighting his cigarette in our car. It's like Westbound or something. What? What's that? What's that? Billy Thorpe is the artist. I'll okay. tell you that. Uh, yeah, that would have taken me. <laughs> hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Until we, the end of time. We have to, because our guest lit up on the submarine question. He knows the movie. Yeah, what was the movie? Crimson Tide. Oh, yes. Oh, you're right. Dang Without it. further ado, <laughs> Mr. Ty Kehoe, how's it going? Pretty well. Uh, still trying to get through the fog to get here. Yeah, uh, no kidding. Crazy weather. Tim Ream would be very comfortable, I think, in, <laughs> in the, these particular conditions. But uh, and actually, as I got out of my car, there was a rainbow because the sun was trying to break. I saw that. So I was driving from downtown west out this way, and I-44 was a split. On the right side was gray fog. On the left was pink-orange, and it was trying to... It's a sign. Yeah, it was us. I agree. It was us. 
yeah, that, here. I can see that. <laughs> see, parting the earth, the heavens. Uh, it's all Jared. I think the rainbow <laughs> follows the Keo family. Probably. Probably. No, no pot of gold, though, at the end. Uh, <laughs> how, so how's it going? Everything Everything good? You stay, you bi- let's just, are you busy? What's, what's the, what's the daytime look like well, I, for you these days? Well, I re- I retired a few years ago. Uh, I thought I retired, but now it's, I think I work in daycare now because uh, <laughs> we got two grandkids. Uh, one is 21 months. The other one's 17 months. Wow. They're, they're at our house almost every day. And then a third grandkid due March 10th. So, Ooh, uh, wow, you're busy. So, so I'm in a new industry called daycare. <laughs> Well, um, I believe the uh, uh, family child tax credit was extended, so no, there, <laughs> you, yeah. you, cl- you, you should lay claim to some of that. Well, so. my, my main training is pushing pushing a double stroller through the neighborhoods, up and down the hills. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, keeps me fit. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, your, your friend, your close friend, Larry uh, Holzer, he joined us a couple of weeks back, and uh, when we were done, he was like, man, you got to get Ty. You know, I, I talk to Ty all the time, and set it up and uh so we're really glad you're here um did did, did you did you have a chance on any of those strolls uh do you put a little airpod in so you don't listen to them scream or and listen to larry's episode or do you actually no we uh, engage with the littles oh they're they're fun (laughs) they're exhausting but they're fun yeah Yeah. so no no i'm always engaging with them it's 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 a riot yeah yeah i um uh, for me and i kind of mentioned it in the intro um growing up and playing the sport that we all love in this town um this one's going to be slick for me because of, of your name and your family and what you've done for our game and i can't wait to get into it and our listeners learn your guys's history your history your your dad's your family's history a lot of people know it a lot of people don't um what do you think jb well i think what it, i i think it would make the most sense to Let's go back to when you were uh, a, a kid, younger, and you're playing, and you're starting to uh, maybe thrive or, or potentially falling in love with the game. You know, as you're growing up in a household with, you know, soccer royalty. You, your father, Harry, um, he checked a lot of boxes. As a child growing up in that house, did you, when did you realize what dad did? or who dad was when it came to the game? Well, I can remember being quite young and being at some of the Kudus uh, soccer club's practices. Um, I don't remember many games at all because it was very much at the end of my dad's uh, soccer career as a player. And uh, and usually I was in a three-a-side or a four-a-side or a five-a-side on the sideline. So not, you know, you're, you're too young to really study the game. You're just playing for fun. Uh, so I do have some recollections of that. But I, I think initially um, when when he took the job at Florissant Valley Community College, uh, it would have been in the fall of 66, I'm almost nine years old. So I have pretty vivid memories of that because they made a championship run. They did not win the National Junior College uh, Championship, but they were finalists. Uh, and the very, very next year, uh, my dad handed over uh, Florissant Valley Community College to Pete Sorber. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Who went, went on to win 11 national championships. <laughs> uh, Decent. And that's because my dad was offered the St. Louis University Billiken job. Uh, so now I'm a 10-year-old, and my dad's in his first season uh, for, for the St. Louis University Billikens as the head coach. And I did attend the uh, 
the NCAA uh, final uh, at Francis Field, uh, Washington University's campus, uh, as a 10-year-old, almost 11 years, and I have vivid memories of that as well. So, uh, yeah, so he's coaching. Uh, that was a co-championship between Michigan State and St. Louis University. Uh, but essentially, I'm a 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old, uh, witnessing um, the NCAA final, and my dad's the head coach. Did 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 it make sense to you at the time? Were you were you like, this is this is huge, this is big, or was it just like, ah, oh, dad's coaching this team and they no they no, won. it's it's different than that because you know I, at this point I'd already been playing kindergarten soccer at, at Macklin Heart of Mary and my my coaches at, at Macklin Heart of Mary Parish in South City were Frank Borgie and Harry Keel. <laughs> <laughs> What? Okay, so um, that's kindergarten, and then I'm playing for the Spanish Society uh, Club that's on Michigan Avenue, near you know just southeast of Carlet Park, and every single guy that's a club member at the Spanish Society there grew up with my dad, knows my dad, sees me, and we always went to the club after our games in the Cory League, basically, and. Uh, all, every every guy's patting me on the back, you know, punching me in the arm, see what I'm made out of, and, and telling me stories about my dad. So uh, I'm immer- I'm immersed in it, yeah. uh, you know, from from the get go. So so, uh, let's be clear then. The ongoing debate of North South. You are lockstock South Southerners. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. Because when you know, it, which is wonderful. When I played at St. Louis University, every Wednesday was the North South game. And it was intense. I mean, it was as, sure. as intense as a bronze boot game. Wow! <laughs> Every Wednesday. So, so, so your next few years, you're growing up on the South Side. Your dad's coaching. You're entering into your teen years. You're obviously you're playing at you know different levels, teams, club, etc. Uh, you get into high school. You go to SLU High, correct? Uh, how how was your high school soccer experience? Uh, what was that like? Were you were you on good teams? Were you excelling? Um, because as you're getting close and you know you're realistically you're wanting to play college soccer, what was that transition like for you from SLU High into SLU? I will briefly take a detour. Uh, yeah. Because in 1970. Yes, I can't wait to talk about this. The World Cup was in Mexico. Mm-hmm. My mother is from Mexico. So we drove uh, to Guadalajara, which is her hometown. By the way, I just got back from Guadalajara two days ago. Nice. Uh, that's why you, you see the, a little bit of a tan. Good, you got tan. good color. <laughs> yeah. You got good color, my man. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, Brazil and England are in the group that plays all their games in Guadalajara. England wins the 66 World Cup, correct? They're the defending champions at this time, and they, they will face Pelé and Carlos Alberto and Jarzinho uh, in Guadalajara at the Jalisco Stadium. I'm a 13-year-old, and I'm at every game uh, that was played at that venue. I'm also uh, at, obviously, at every game that Brazil and England played in, in group stages, and then we drove over to Mexico City for the final. Uh, so uh, I'm... That really opened my eyes. Now, did you have somebody sitting next to you or near you kind of... My dad. Yeah. <laughs> my, Pointing and my, out some... And, and my uh, uncle. By the way, those yeah. guys are doing some things oh, you might sure. want to look like, into. Hey, watch Bobby Charlton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This watch is, watch yeah. Pelé. Oh, come wow. on. Well, yeah. This is worth talking about because I just look like it's an aha moment for me. So in 2024, we have 15-year-olds. They weren't too far away from 13-year-olds. There's not a place that you can't watch soccer. 
I'm thinking back into 1970. If you're in United States and you're fortunate enough to have your dad, which is soccer royalty at that time as a 13-year-old and living in our little bubble in St. Louis, which is pretty advanced for soccer, you couldn't watch soccer in 1970. And as a 13-year-old kid, what did it mean to you and how much do you think you took advantage of actually going there as a 13-year-old kid and just being a sponge and watching those games. Because, yeah. like, like we take it for granted. We can turn the Champions League off on Saturday. We can watch the Chelsea-Aston Villa FA Cup game. You can only read about those games back then. I mean, what, what did that mean to you as a 13-year-old? Well, what, you, what you're soaking up is the atmosphere. How big soccer is in terms of it being a world sport and how it, it, it really is a religion for so many uh, sports fans around around the world. And so you soak that up, and you're like, wow, this is a really big deal. Uh, yeah, it was a big deal in St. Louis, too. But this is a global aspect to it. And so you take that in. But then you also see the skills that are out there. And, and my dad was pretty sharp about this. He'd tell me, watch this guy. Watch that guy. You know, he wanted me to be a center midfielder. He thought that was the most glamorous position because you're involved in more plays. You get the ball more. And uh, so he basically would say, Gerson, you know, he's the playmaker. Yep. Rivellino, I liked Rivellino better because he was he was flashier. <laughs> and he was like a flank guy, right? Yeah, Just oh, yeah. yeah like well, a, he, he was an attacking midfield uh, midfielder from the wide position. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so that that was my. And he was only like 21 years old. So uh, that that was the guy I just thought. What, I tried to idolize him and, and be like him, basically. And. Uh, I'm, I'm right-footed, but I decided I'm going to be left-footed because Revelino's left. <laughs> so, uh, so it it really it was the atmosphere and the energy and the global aspect of it. What a big deal it really is in this world. Uh, but then just seeing the skill levels of guys like Tostal and Carlos Alberto, as we mentioned, and uh, Bobby Charlton, Bobby Moore. I mean, what a classy guy. I have memories. Maybe my dad pointed it out to me when that game ended. I don't think the Brazilians really had a whole lot of respect for the English game, right? Because Right, a little grittier. Well, little. well, it was grittier and almost had to be because of the field conditions. <clears throat> when you think about it, you know, the mud they played. Everything was long. It, it almost you, you couldn't hardly keep the ball on the ground because there were puddles. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. mean, that, we're talking about the weather we're having here now. So, so there, there's always been this aspect of the world game, the South Americans thing that think that European soccer, especially Northern or British soccer, uh, is kind of ugly and uh, not artistic. Whereas Brazil, it's beautiful and it has a flow to it and so forth. Uh, so they're, they're they're both somewhat wrong to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. they have always been very skillful players in England and, and in Europe. And mm -hmm. you know, how about George Best, maybe or Johan Cruyff yeah. and so forth. Right. But uh, and the opposite, and the English had, a, uh, I, I think, a mentality that the South Americans are soft. They, can't, they don't tackle hard. They're not as, as, as rugged and so forth. Uh, but anyway, so there's that, that sort of rivalry and that, I think, perception of, of how the game should be played. But when that game ended, where Brazil did beat England, the defending champions at that 70 World Cup 1-0, uh, the Brazilian players basically ignored all of the British players except... Charlton, and more. more. And, and Banks, probably, yeah. the goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, they, they made a point of going up to Bobby Charlton and to Bobby Moore, and, and to maybe a, a little bit lesser degree to Gordon, Gordon Banks. But yeah, they, respect, they, they looked at Charlton and they looked at Bobby Moore and said, these guys are as good as we are. 
Um, and, may, and maybe they didn't have that same opinion about the rest of the British team. Well, that's unbelievable because I, I'm thinking right now, and we're and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. JB will get us right back on track. But you're 13 in 1970, and and you're watching these international teams play at this 1970 World Cup. Well, fast forward, you're probably playing some of these guys in the NASL. Are you not later on in life? Oh yeah. We, so I mean, golly, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Uh, it was pretty cool to play against Carlos Alberto. Yeah. Uh, I did not play against Pelé. I missed him by a year in the NASL. Uh, in, in terms of other guys, some of those British guys did did come across, but they were a little bit older, obviously a bit older than me. They're at least 10 years older than me. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was only a couple of those. Okay. Well, let me let me go back to – because Jared hit the nail on the head, the kind of the, uh, the popular uh, shift in the game uh, due to – television and social media and everything else, right? It's so accessible back then it wasn't. Uh, however, St. Louis was a community built around the sport, you know, with north, from north south to the hill to, all, you know, all these other neighborhoods, et cetera. CYC. So prior to going to the World Cup, you already kind of assumed, you know, this is a soccer culture. <clears throat> then you go there and you see that culture, that fandom, that quality of play on the field. And, you know, and I want to fast forward past the World Cup when you come home. Did you compare and contrast it to St. Louis as far as like what you saw, um, as far as we need to do this better? Man, I wish we had fans that would do X, Y, and Z, or as players, we need to would love to play this way. Was there ever like I wasn't that sophisticated <clears throat> to look at it, you know, a lot in, in with that much perspective. Uh, but I came back uh, just motivated. motivated. Yeah. Hey, I want to be at a. I want to be a player at a World Cup. I want to play for my country like my dad did. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was motivational for sure. Uh, what you know, I wasn't thinking about uh, you know how the fans should act or anything like that. I was just thinking about hey, I want to be like Rivellino. Uh, and later on, I wanted to be like Wolfgang Overath because we did start to get soccer made in Germany uh, yeah. where PBS would PBS. show a 60-minute yeah. version of, of one of the uh, top German games uh, right after – this was right after the 74 World Cup. Yeah, I only asked because I had a similar experience in 90 for me, go over to Europe, we were playing in the Holland Cup, but we had the uh, 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 the experience of we went to watch PSV play. And at the time, Romario was at PSV. And it was one of those games that I believe it was a Champions League qualifier and just the environment. Like, you know, I'd always played the game around a lot of really good players, but you go into an environment like that and you're like, no, no, <laughs> we, we are not doing it that way. So that was really kind of the frame of reference. I, I, I'd like to let's get back domestic because you we got a lot to cover here in a relatively short period of time. But I'm really curious about. Senior year, high school to freshman year, college, the relationship between you and your dad, you go from SLU High, you go and you go to play at SLU, and your dad's the coach. What was that experience like uh, transitioning out? Before you jump into that, though, you, you, you asked a question about high school. You did kind of have some success at SLU High. Too, yeah, we, right? we won mean, the state championship yeah. my sophomore year. Uh, I was not a starter on the team, although I played quite a bit in the state final due to an injury of one of, to, to one of the seniors. But uh, And I always laugh because the two forwards on our team, 
uh, were Dan Flynn and, and Tim Twelman. <laughs> so you know they they've got some fairly big names in the yeah. in, in the in the world of soccer too. Uh, but this kind of goes back to what you were saying about you you, you see a whole other world and and it motivates you uh, n- number one. Uh, but it we had a chance. Uh, to go to Scotland when we were 16 years old. It was a St. Louis, we called it, uh, basically it became the St. Louis United team. And we had five Northsiders from uh, St. Dismas uh, Parish, and, and they played for Flores and Celtic as well. And then we had uh, five Southsiders who played for the Emo's Pizza uh, team, which ended up winning uh, three uh under nineteen national championships. Was David Bursick on that team? He was our goalkeeper. Yeah, okay. Because uh, he for Emo's Pizza and for the the Scot- Scotland trip. And essentially, we were a Midwest. Uh, we were like the Region Two ODP team, if yeah. uh, if they still talk like that in in terms of yeah. the development uh, of young players. But uh, we went to Scotland and uh, played in a tournament that had Swedish team, German team, Spanish team, Scottish and English teams, of course, and. No, I, I, I think several U.S. teams had come to that same tournament in Scotland over the years had never, I don't think, never won a game and, and never even maybe scored a goal. Um, and uh, we ended up finishing fifth out of 16 teams. Uh, we, we beat the uh, Scottish youth champion. Uh, we, we beat a, a German team. We, so the people in Scotland were falling all over themselves. What where are you guys from? We never saw a U.S. team that could actually play soccer. And what was weird, too, uh, was England then was all long ball. Uh-huh. I mean, this is 1973, yeah. and Scotland even more so. Uh, and Larry Hulser and I it sent, were the center midfielders on, on this team. Uh, and by the way, the, the 11th player was Tom Malley, who played for Seco. And Seco had won several uh, McGuire Cubs U19 national teams. But we, Larry Hulser and I, we would get the ball and expect immediate pressure because St. Louis was high pressure always, yep. all over the field. I mean, yep. that's also pre- a misnomer about our team this year. Well, you know, Bradley Carnell, you know, had nothing on us. We pressured all over the field all the yeah. time. Well, yeah. the fields were bad, too. You might as well pressure a guy because you're going to get a bad bond. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be smooth. Yeah. So, so, so basically, it was so weird. We would get the ball and expect pressure, and there was no pressure because everybody was sprinting away from you, expecting you to hit a 60-yard To ball. win the second ball. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it was crazy. So... I, I felt like I was better than Jerson because I, I, I was just spreading the ball around, yeah. you know, switching the point of play, playing to people's feet. So we played a lot of short passing, and and, and it was like revolutionary to, to the English game and the Scottish game at that time, and, and we outplayed a lot of foreign teams. And, and, and my point being, then you come back to St. Louis. You've just played against international competition in a fairly prestigious youth soccer tournament, and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, this is easy playing the local guys. <laughs> you know, you're not playing German guys. You're not playing <clears throat> Swedish guys. You're not yeah. playing English, Scottish guys who who play hard. And that's the first time I heard the term "studs up." Ooh, and the first t- <laughs> and it's the first time I saw aluminium studs. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> right. Because, yeah. And that's the first thing we did is try to find the sporting goods store and get because all the teams we're playing against, we see them in. Uh, we're in dorms and stuff, and these guys, you know, got these metal cleats. Uh, Did Bursick know anybody that might be able to help? Yeah, well, maybe yeah, that's yeah. why he started soccer master. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they had started it yet, but uh, uh, it it was just eye opening in in a lot of ways. But also the contrast to come back here. Yeah, you get that experience. 
uh, not only are you kind of motivated, but you're a better player now because you've been up against that and you, and you come here and you can do, do more against the local competition. So um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to, I, I like the transition there. Um, talk about the recruiting process. Was there even a process or was it always slew uh, going into your senior year of high school? What was that like knowing that, you know, dad's coach and I'm going to the next level collegiately to play? I wanted to play for the best team in the country. And, and that was happened to be my dad's team. Uh, I also wanted to stay in St. Louis because you could play year round. We, the, the amateur leagues, the Sunday leagues yeah. here, where there were ex-pros, ex-national team players, ex-Olympic team players that you could compete against week in, week out. Because uh, I, I, I had seen guys go – to Ivy League schools and, and go to other parts of the country on, on scholarship. They were only playing three or four months of the year. And they came back after four years of college and they weren't any better. Uh, I wanted to play year-round because I wanted to be a pro. And uh, so later my dad told me uh, that there was the National Soccer Coaches Convention in St. Louis uh, and, and there were about 40 or 50 coaches that showed up at St. Louis U High's first game that season, my senior year. And uh, maybe more. I don't know. It was, it was a lot of a lot of college coaches came and watched us play. And and late, later on, my dad he told me later, obviously not ahead of time. He said, "Yeah, you you had about fifty offers." Yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell you because I was coaching down. I was coaching a driver and a pitching wedge away, and that's where you were going. <laughs> that's funny. but that's where I wanted to go anyway. So, well, so then let's. There's a lot there. Um, let's go to the next phase, um, because at, at SLU University, you're you're four year All American, correct? Um, and y you you were kind of realizing your goal, your dream in real time, because you're seeing your peers. You see all the other peers that are entering into uh, the pro game. Uh, the league in ASL is. Um, it's 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 fairly stable. There's options. You know, there's a lot of people that you know that are out there. Um, at what point did you really know, like, I am going to be pro, and this this is this is my path? I think the first sense I had of saying maybe I can do this for a living was when I was 16 in Scotland, okay, playing against European players. Uh, so I was motivated then. Coming to St. Louis University, I was motivated because you know, everybody talks. Oh, he's only on the team because of, of his dad, or he's only getting minutes because of his dad, and so forth. That was a motivation, too. I was going to try to work hard enough and consistently enough and every day uh, so that I, everybody would – it would be very evident that I was one of the top three or four players on the team. Well, absolutely. Hey, yeah. jerks, uh, my dad didn't pick the All-American teams in the nation these four years in a row. Mm -hmm. you, you know, so, I mean, that that right there is proof in the pudding that you were there not because your dad wanted you to play. No, and in the meantime, I had been picked for the U-17 national team. Uh, Halser and myself were on that. A few other St. Louis guys, Greg Mikowski was on that. Uh, and then there's the U-20 national team. Uh, went to Europe with them in 77. Uh, so you, you, you're getting already nat national recognition and getting picked for these you know, U-17, U-20 national teams and so forth and, and getting European competition there too. Uh, and eventually that became the Pan Am team, the, the Olympic team, the U-23 team. So it's not just you're playing for St. Louis University. It's not just that you're playing in the local leagues here. It's that you're, you're getting to travel to Europe and, and, and play good competition. Can I, can I ask you specifically about that 1980 team? 
Um, the Olympic team. Um, your dad played on the 50 World Cup team with the five St. Louisans. Um, I know probably just from, you know, being alive that it probably meant a lot to you to play for your national side. When those games and you were you were announced to be on that team, what emotions did you have and your peers have when 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 the U.S. and the president of our country boycotted those games? Was it anger? I think there's some anger there, but uh, you have to realize I, I maybe as like a four or five year old, I had seen my dad's Olympic. Uh, memorabilia and, and medals and, and things. Because he was, in addition to the 1950 team that had the five St. Louis guys that beat England, uh, my dad was the captain of the 52 and 56 U.S. Olympic squads. Uh, so it been one of my dreams to be in the Olympics. Right? Yeah. And uh, it it was really frustrating because uh, it's... It, it, my time's now. Well, and... and it was hard to qualify for the Olympics. We've seen even recently uh, the right. U.S. team doesn't always uh, qualify for, for the you, Olympic You guys had to beat a, a real good Honduras team by a goal in a full stadium in Honduras to qualify for that Olympics. It was Costa, it was Costa, Costa Rica. Rica? Yeah, it was Costa Rica. Wow. In, in front of about yeah. 60,000 uh, people. Uh, yeah, we, in fact, Don Ebert scored the penalty with about seven minutes to go, and we barely got out of there alive. Uh, because they were throwing so many bricks and batteries and bottles. <laughs> and, we heard, we heard yeah, about that. Under our locker bit. room and everything. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but be, be that, yeah, for, for me, uh, that was something I dreamt about since probably before I started school because of my dad's uh, experiences, and I, I knew that he had been in the Olympics. But, uh, yeah, to represent your country, uh, I, I like to describe uh, the, the career that uh, I've been so lucky to have or had um, that there's two really pinnacles, to use your guys' word, pinnacles, mm-hmm. uh, would be playing for your country, mm-hmm. but also being a pro in your own hometown. Yeah, most yeah. most people don't get to, get to do that, and that, that was amazing. Uh, you know, the whole the whole steamer experience as well. I want to dive into something you just said, and you've you've referenced it a couple times, and obviously, you know, even some articles I've read about you, Ty Keo's moving out of the shadow of his dad. A lot of people that have dads or parents that have excelled athletically or in business struggle to ever meet expectations. And I think a lot of it sometimes is pressure and all the kinds of factors. It seems like it motivated you. Yeah, it was self-induced pressure because my, my dad was a pretty low-key guy. He yeah. loved the game. Uh, he loved being around the game. I think he, he he was very happy, very pleased that, that I liked playing the game too. Yeah. I, I actually have one slight regret in my player development. The St. Louis Blues showed up when I was 10 years old. And from fourth grade through about ninth grade, I probably played twice as much street hockey and ice hockey as I did soccer. Uh, if I had been playing soccer that whole time, I might have even been a, a bit be- a better player. But, uh, <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to blame the blues on, uh, you know, a, 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 a staggered start. Is that what, is that what we're saying? Yeah, but, it yeah. sounds, but it sounds like you took the allure of what your dad had and turned that into a motivation for yourself, as opposed to outward pressure. To yeah, be it, that way. You know, he wasn't the kind of dad that in the car after the game, you know, tried to break it down. And, yeah. You know, he, I probably got uh, three or four things pointed out 
to me every eight months. You know, it wow, was, it wasn't yeah. he wasn't nitpicking. No, then what could he say? Um, you guys just lost to the Celtics. I just beat England. I mean, <laughs> well, he, he's, he's also a South Sider. He probably took you to Hilltop, gave you a pocket full of dimes, and said, "Go play pool." No, no. <laughs> Mainly, it was like, "Hey, you know, when you play this game, don't give the ball away." I mean, yeah, yeah. If, keep know, the ball. Yeah, keep yeah. the ball, and uh, you're in business. That's that's keep, that. keep the ball. You're in business. Keep I like the that. Ball. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna get some refills out here at soccer park we'll be back with some more tai kiho uh stories domestic and abroad and probably a lot more so thanks for listening we'll be right back i'm max and i'm nine years old when i'm not playing soccer jumping on a trampoline or playing xbox with permission of course I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the chief flavor officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you are interested in the secret sauce of success, check out the Baked In Podcast. Now... Back to those old guys. All right. Refills. Check. Jared took personal break. Check. Zach, you good? I'm good. I am. Ty, how you doing? I'm good. Are you I'm having, do, doing are you good. Having, are you having fun? Oh yeah, you. Uh, right? We're going to tell some stories about Patch here since he's. Well, <laughs> that's what I wanted. He's to, waiting. I wanted to he's jump seen, right in because you had talked about and teased it the steamers and how much of a an awesome experience it was to not only play for your national team but also be a pro in your hometown, and you mentioned how rare that actually is. Uh, let's just open that can of worms and kind of start talking about a little bit, a little bit, your your steamers experience. Well, it's even more than that, believe it or not, because not only being a pro in your your hometown, but having 75% of your teammates also be hometown guys. Yeah, God, yes. that's so awesome. Yeah, because that does not happen in pro sports. <laughs> no, no. It just doesn't. And uh, so it was a unique, unique experience, sellouts from the first night, uh, maybe because of that hometown flavor. Uh, you know, basically, you're, you're looking at a team that uh, was very motivated to play in front of their home fans because... 75% of the team, maybe 80% of the team the, the first year uh, were, were hometown guys. Well, let me <clears> – we'll go right back into the barn in just a second here, but I want to talk about, you know, the uh, your slew days going into uh, the pros and then um, kind of your experience, you know, from a little kid going to the World Cup at 13 and then your Scottish experience. Uh, what did it mean to you – and I'm going to go a little homer for a second, St. Louis homer – what did it mean to you or what did it say about St. Louis when you're going through this process and you're clip you know you're clipping at the highest level in CAA uh, you go you go pro you're playing against these you know legends of the game from all over the, the world but and at every corner every turn every locker room there was always some semblance other players like Larry uh from St. Louis, did it did it mean anything to you? Like from a, 
uh, hometown standpoint to know that wherever you went, there was a pretty large St. Louis thumbprint on those on those teams in the locker room and in the leagues. I think growing up in St. Louis, learning learning the game in St. Louis, uh, you you have this sense of pride. You puff out your chest. Hey, I'm from St. Louis, and and soccer people around this whole country knew what that meant. Probably going back to the 20s, 1920s. Yeah. By the way, uh, and uh, you know, then on top of that, the, the the 1950 World Cup team, and it just the Kudus Championships through the 50s, National Youth Championships through the 60s and 70s. Hey, it means something to have grown up in the game in this community, uh, and it's super competitive. You mentioned the whole north-south thing. Uh, Patch and I were just reminiscing about the the Normandy High School '74 state <laughs> championship. So, so I, I got to play for St. Louis High in the '73 championship, and then uh, lost in the final to McClure North. Talk about north-south rivalry as a senior, St. Louis High against uh, McClure North, who was coached by. Al Trost. Al Trost. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and three of the guys from, uh, from McClure North ended up being my teammates and play four years. Larry Hulser, Don Huber, and Frank Schuler. Uh, so I, I got to play uh, alongside three guys that had beat me in the state final uh, for the next four years at, at St. Louis University. So Wow, that, that, that's just amazing to me. Yeah, right. the, 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 this is the pedigree, and we've heard this from, from multiple guys. Um, you get drafted into the San Diego Soccers. Um, first off, what was that change like from being in St. Louis your whole life and kind of being under your dad's tutelage and playing for him? Was this really the first time, other than the trips across the, the pond or maybe the, the 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 quick jaunts for the national team? Because that that, t- that at that time they were just you weren't there for any long distance. How much did you have to grow up when you went on your own to San Diego? Well, what's a little bit crazy is the coach in San Diego who brought me there, and I know it's wrong in certain reference materials. I was drafted by the Tulsa Roughnecks. Yep. And then my rights were traded to San Diego because the coach in San Diego at that time was the former Yale coach who had taken us to Scotland as a 16 year Okay. So he knew me, I, I knew him, and he wanted me, so he, he sent money to Tulsa for my rights, and I ended up in San Diego. What's a little crazy, though, too, uh, I was already a pro when I went to San Diego because I played indoor professionally for the Cincinnati Kids, uh, the inaugural season of the major indoor soccer okay. league, a team that was owned... Uh, by Pete Rose, uh, Johnny Bench, their agents, a few restaurant owners in Cincinnati, and so forth. What, that, there's a whole nother episode uh, uh, about Pete yeah. Rose and, 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 and all of that. But uh, So I had already played uh, pro indoor uh, for about four months in Cincinnati before I showed up in, uh, in San Diego. And uh, so I'm, I'm with a coach I know in San Diego, but I'm also with on a team with probably six or seven uh, former Bundesliga players, German players, uh, also a, a couple of Hungarian players, uh, and then quite soon a couple of Mexican national team players because they were trying to bring all of Tijuana 
Uh, okay. Jack okay. Murphy, yeah. Qualcomm yeah. Stadium to come see. Wasn't him. the Peruvian star that was from the 1970 World Cup on you're, that team? You're thinking of Nene Cubillas, uh, but he he played for Fort Lauderdale in in the North American Soccer League. Okay. The players that uh, that came to San Diego and I played parts of two seasons with uh, were Hugo Sanchez, who became a legend. Yeah. in Spain with Real Madrid. Absolutely. And, and Leonardo Cuellar, who at the time was the Mexican national team captain. Uh, they were my teammates in San Diego as well. Can, can, you, can you talk about this a little bit as far as the those days in San Diego and then bouncing back and playing year-round? And, and I think at first, and, and correct us here, um, San Diego was basically loaning you back to the Steamers. And then there was a timeline there, and you were one of the first guys to do it where you were playing under contract in the NASL, and then you also got to sign a contract with the Steamers. Am I right here? So you were getting to play the full outdoor season and then bouncing back home to the indoor season. How awesome was that? I got to miss all the preseasons. <laughs> <laughs> but you were already fit because you never stopped playing. No, I, that's true. I never stopped playing. Um, yeah, it, well, let's turn it around a little bit. I, I had signed a 12-month contract with the indoor club in Cincinnati. They loaned me to San Diego. Uh, uh, so that was basically I was, my contract was an indoor soccer league contract and I was being loaned out to San Diego for four seasons in a row out there. Uh, so <clears throat> it worked out really well because I basically doubling my income uh, and not, like I said, not having to do the two days in preseason yeah. <laughs> for either <laughs> team. Uh, and, and at the same time uh, playing for the national team, uh, we went on tour in 79. Petra was my roommate in 79 and 80. Uh, with with the national team tours, we'd go to uh, Europe for like six seven weeks and, and play a bunch of games over there. Uh, so that would miss the indoor preseason because right. I was with the national team. And then um, it, as long as we did well in the playoffs indoor, I'd miss the preseason for the outdoor <laughs> league. So and in St. Louis, you were in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, uh, it, yeah, it's it's hard to beat because any any player would much rather play in games than train yeah. than train. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this because uh, I it, it, this time frame um, a little bit later, I always think about uh, your friend, friend of the show now, guest of the show, Don Ebert, because he was very um, uh, not stoic, not sad, not mad, but he talked about kind of the you know the struggles that the NASL was having towards the end and you know it starts you know he, everybody sees it's going away you know MISL is doing well it's 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 fairly stable not as much chaos let, let me make a point uh, for all of the american forwards that were coming up and was, and some of them were very good Ebert was an accomplished goal scorer obviously a, a really tough striker a good finisher with his left foot, uh, although you know he he probably wouldn't have scored many goals if I wasn't putting the ball directly on that. Yeah, on that, no, hear that, Eves? On, the, on that left foot. <laughs> yeah, there is no hole without oats. Yeah. I get it. But, <laughs> so. but but it just comes down to it. when NASL teams were, and even even major indoor soccer league teams. It's tougher for an American to break in at those positions. If you play, well, in the, if you play in the back, you know they're going to th throw an American in there. If you if you play wide, you know they you, want you, the sexy international guy that's it, got pedigree. It well, happens, but, it happens all over the world. But but but, yeah. but the area the the area that I'm actually kind of and I, I really appreciate that perspective on the position you know, positional differences. But what what I want to ask you about though is the perception differences, because indoor soccer was a uniquely American thing uh, at a pro level. 
um, you know, and, and obviously Europe and South America and all these other places had well ha and have well established pro outdoor leagues. 11 v 11 is the World Cup. It is the Olympics, everything else. And here comes this 5 v 5, 6 v 6 in, you know, indoor iteration of the game. And he, he kind of alluded like there was a frustration because the passion, you grow up, you play 11-11, and then here is this indoor product. Did that ever go through your head as, I would rather be playing, you know, if I had a chance, I'd go to Europe and play 11-11, v or was indoor like a true target for you personally? Indoor was unique for us because we're playing in our hometown, like we mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just a, a fantastic experience. Yeah. It allowed many more American players to make a living at the sport. So yeah. It, you, yeah. you can't really cast aspersions at it because it's not the world game. Sure. Uh, so, it, and it was fun. And Stan yeah. Musial was buying dinners. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to go there because, yeah. you know, you, you talked about your Cincinnati kids experience with, you know, P. Rose, Johnny Bench, and then, you know, uh, you trans transition over, you're with the Steamers. Um, what was the difference between the Steamers and the Cincinnati organization? You know, because you had Stan and the crew that owned the team, and you had the post-game meals it's at, at, at stands. And what was, it, what was the difference between the two, and how cool was it here? Well, Cincinnati as a city didn't have the soccer uh, heritage yeah. uh, right. that you have here, and we didn't have the full houses. We did average around 8,000 people, which is you know, decent for a, yeah, that's not bad. a first year of the league. I mean, the whole league's an expansion team, you know, basically. So, uh, yeah, so it, you can't really compare it. Now you come here, and it's a sellout every night. You've got a great uh, ownership group, and, and you've got, you know, classy, classy people like Stan Musial involved with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're getting at, but I can't complain. I mean, we, we made more—American players made more money indoor than they ever made outdoor. Yeah. Uh, so we, we made more money. Uh, we got to play in front of hometown fans, and, and it was uh, an experience, obviously. The old barn, as you're, you're calling it, uh, it was amazing. And, uh, and, and, you know, most of us did still get to play some outdoor soccer, too, and at least and play with some world stars and mm -hmm. against some world stars. One of the fascinating things for me in talking to folks like you is just the amount of different organizations you've been a part of throughout your career, whether they were clubs like Kudis or they were professional teams like the Soccers or the Steamers or the U.S. national team. And now you've, you've seen a lot of these intricate views into some of the other <clears throat> organizations of the MLS through your broadcasting and things like that. When you think back on your career, take your dad's time out at, at SLU, who had the most impact on you from a from an organizational standpoint, meaning, man, these guys have it down. They're, the coaches are, are good. The facilities are great. The ownership is good. How, can you talk a little bit about where, and maybe it is the steamers, and that's great for Homer, but I, I just want to know what that experience was like for you. Yeah, I know what you're getting at, uh, but I'm going to take it back chronologically just a little bit. I, I had a coach uh, from about age 11 or 12 through age uh, 18, uh, Fran Rich, uh, who developed a lot of players and ended up getting college scholarships and, and played some pro. Uh, and Fran Rich was uh, one uh, with the Emos Pizza as a sponsor. Uh, we had a couple other sponsors before that, but uh, the under-19 national championship, which at the time was called the McGuire Cup, yep. mm -hmm. uh, 
the team I was on won in 75. He won it again in 77 and 78 with, you know, younger guys that were, were including like Pat McGall, uh, who you guys know about, and, and a bunch of other guys. Uh, so Fran Rich is a guy that uh, helped start this, the St. Louis Youth Soccer Association. Uh, so he was involved in, in that aspect of, of, of creating a platform for player development that wasn't the CYC. And, uh, and, and he, de- he knew how to develop players, too. I uh, became my assistant coach at Wash U when I was the Wash U uh, head coach for ten seasons. Uh, Fran was my assistant for all ten years, wow. which is really very cool. cool. I, I, and I think that's a good segue because you know, you, you know, we went through your playing days. You go to Wash U, you're there for ten years, um, and we could talk about that if you'd like. Uh, you have almost two hundred wins. I mean, that's 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 nothing to bat an eye at. You know, uh, Tim Ream was at my soccer camp at Wash U. So. There you go. There you go. And so, and then w- w- at what point were you like? I can't get this guy. Uh, but, but, <laughs> what are you, about seven? Yeah. <laughs> interesting to me is basically you leave the position to, to, to go on to your next part of your life. And, and I, I admire it. I mean, you get to cover four World Cups, the pinnacle of our game. Um, can you talk about that? Your passion, your, your, what, what was that like? I mean, what was the best one? I mean, JB, answer, you know, throw some questions at him about these World Cups. I mean, well, I, I'm more curious. Let's, let's tee it up a little bit chronologically. Uh, your playing career had come to an end. You, you make the transition, you get into coaching. How does broadcasting come into the equation? Well, as I became a rookie coach at, Washington University, uh, almost simultaneously, I'm asked to do some of the local radio and TV for the St. Louis Steamers. And, and, and I think part of the reasons it, uh, that it came down to that is I can remember and uh, being in the Steamer locker room a few times with the local media wanting us to come out, and maybe we had just lost a game. And Eves and Patch and them like, oh, get! I don't want to talk to those, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Expletives. Yeah, yeah. Carl Rose is having a cigarette <laughs> yeah. and a bush beer. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's happy. Nobody wants to talk to the media. But I, uh, more than one time, I said, look, I'll go talk to them. And, and I think they appreciated it. So when they were looking for somebody maybe to put into the booth as, as an ex-player, they're like, hey, well, this guy at least would talk to us when, when they lost. <laughs> and he could, you know, more or less complete an English sentence and it was intelligible. So uh, so I think that that helped a little bit. Um, you know, having been a prominent player help, helps, obviously, too, because yeah. you, you, you have the uh, authority to be able to critique what's going on out Na- there. You had name recognition, too. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Pedigree, uh, all yeah. that stuff. And, and, that, and, and I first started with Bud Sports, and that was their philosophy was to have a former athlete in the booth as the analyst. So uh, so on the side, I'm, I'm coaching at Wash U, but on the side, I'm doing some local uh, radio coverage for the Steamers and, and, and some of the TV. And around that time, uh, Seamus Mallon, who had been doing color for the national indoor broadcast for the major indoor soccer league, I think he w- he had some health issues, something like that. So I started working with J.P. Della Camera mm-hmm. doing the ESPN game of the week for major indoor soccer league. Uh, you know, again, uh, I was kind of moonlighting cause I was, I still had the Washington university job. And, uh, so that eventually developed into doing, uh, some national team games cause JP Della camera li- liked working with me. So when he was called, uh, called in to do certain games, he, he would recommend me. So, but to, to go back, uh, covering, I, I've attended in person, seven men's world cups, one women's world cup, uh, 
and I've broadcast, as was just mentioned, four, four men's World Cups, and I did a few games from the Women's World Cup in 99 that was uh, mm-hmm. was here in the U.S. But, uh, hey, if you are going to continue to be associated with the highest level of the game uh, and, and you can't play anymore uh, and, and you're in the booth, it's hard to beat. Uh, I, I, you, you said the, the I, access, I, the access that you have to, to the players and everything else. I wrote it down. Keep the ball. You're in business. Yeah. That was kind of your mantra, not yeah. mantra. You probably didn't ever say that out loud, No, but that's what I took from it. And now it sounds like just be available and, and you will have those, those opportunities if you're available, if you're nice <laughs> and you're professional and you continue to get those opportunities. That's you know, it's amazing. amazing. It, it, I was so fortunate because I was juggling a few things, camps, mm-hmm. coaching, recruiting, recruiting. Yeah. All, all of it. Although you, it's, it's a division three program. You don't have money, so you don't have a big recruiting budget. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so you know, but you do have St. Louis. Oh yeah. For sure. <laughs> no, no, it, but yeah, but you need that 30 ACT, 32 ACT to go <laughs> but, along with it. But I, I went when my broadcasting career was just getting off, off, off the ground it was like there were so many times where I was like, I, somebody would call me and I'd go, man, I don't know if I could squeeze, you know, my, I'd look at my calendar yeah. and yeah, I can do that one. Yeah. Yeah. I went about three and a half, four years where I never told anyone no. I, it was like just You're luck. running ragged. Yeah. It was just, no, but it, I'm just saying it was just sheer luck because any one of those, it could have been, no, I can't do it, you know, and then it could have been. Somebody else. It could have been, Don, I, I Don, just it could have been even, Don Ebert in there. I just can't even imagine in, in the excitement or just the sheer, I can't wait to wake up, um, going to do these games all around the world for those 16 or those four World Cups, men's and women's, mm-hmm. um, and just being out, like almost like this is kind of cute, but being out on the the company you're doing them for is dying, like getting wine and dying, staying in hotels. I mean, I don't think I would rather do anything else. I mean, how fun was it? The coolest thing, uh, I mean, that was all, that's all great. It, somebody else's, it's somebody else's dime, as, as you mentioned. That that's fantastic to to go to a World Cup and have it all paid for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's the that's the obvious part. The coolest thing is to be around the coaches and the players right. and see the dynamics right. involved. Yeah. And, and you know, and have access uh, to step right out on the field the day before a match and and watch the game training, behind the game, the preparation uh, that they're going through. The, That's what, why I asked yeah. my question about yeah. the organization, yeah. just because you've yeah. seen so many things. It's so cool, so amazing. Well, that I mean, that's a that's a perfect segue. I'm I'm going to be able to pull a whole lot of aspects here. One of my favorite questions, topics, usually to coaches and or recruiters, is always, you know, when you're looking for players and you're looking at players, you know, when you see that thing that we all call generically it, you know, you, you were just joking about Tim Ream a little while ago, and you're like, you, you know, at seven years old, I knew I couldn't get him because he had it. But in your life, in your experiences. From thir- your experience at 13, going to the World Cup, and then, then, you know, through our backyard, watching your dad, his players playing, going pro against all these other pros, and then from the booth and having that access to watch these guys, you know, from 10 feet away, how would you describe it in a player based on what you've seen, but apply it to you as a coach when you're looking for a player? Like, what type of player are you looking for when they do a certain thing? Well, I, I, I tended to look at the technical aspects 
almost beyond anything else. Because if you don't have the ability to bring a ball down under pressure, if you don't have the uh, confidence of being able to control a ball and still have your head up, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to cut it at that, at that next level. So the guys that, uh, that are eye opening for me, and I like to use this quote, uh, there was a brilliant Brazilian midfielder who played in the 82 and 86 world cups, Falcao. Mm-hmm. You can go to YouTube and just watch how casual he is. Cause he, he knew and saw everything. Space awareness. And his touch was, yeah. you know, it, it was second nature. And they asked him what, what, what does it take to make a world-class midfielder? And he said, 22 pairs of eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well said, yeah. And, and it was, you gotta know, you got to know where everybody is on the field. you got to know where the, the spaces are and, and what can be exploited. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. If you're a playmaker, you know, uh, like, like he was. So, so to, be, to be able to have that vision, <laughs> vision of the field and to be able to recognize those spaces – it goes without saying your ball control has to be at a ridiculous level so yeah. that you you can have that ability to have your head up and, and know what's happening behind you on the sides of you you know I, you know the eyes the guys with the eyes in the back of their head who could yeah. see, could see this all right so we got the it definition uh from being a kid at the 70 world cup and all those world cups you went to as an analyst um Rapid fire type stuff. Uh, best place as a ho- best country or host nation, hospitality wise. Do them one at a time. Jake. Yeah, best host nation, hospitality wise for you, food, accommodations, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Best nation. I tell you, let, let me give you my my biggest thrills as a as a player. Okay. Okay. Obviously, playing here at the barn. Yep. As a hometown guy, uh, with a bunch of other hometown guys, but internationally. Uh, Played at Old Trafford oh. uh, against England's B side. They didn't think we were good enough to play the race side. Yeah, we lost one nil. Like, my dad beat you guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, they all wanted to talk about that yeah. actually. Yeah. So we're at Old Trafford and uh, and, and get to, get to play there. Uh, played at Parc des Princes oh. uh, against uh, Michel Platini, uh, who's legend ten. Well, well, yeah. With with Zidane and maybe one or two other guys, the all time greatest French players. So, um, yeah, and then playing in a World Cup qualifier in the Azteca in Mexico City oh, in front of them. Yeah. Yeah, actually, they didn't even fill it because it was the U.S. Was play, it play was it game. louder than uh, the barn playoff game against? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> right. That's funny. What well, because there's a roof, there's a roof on, on on the indoor facility. Yeah, but well, uh, I, I was going to ask you about that because we had Shep on, and yeah. uh, you know he talked about his you know amazing career, and yeah. he was extre- very very focused to make sure that we talked about his experience at you know at the the checkerdome barn whatever we want to call it um hitchhiking I, here yeah so i i want to <laughs> a- i want to ask like you you know you talked about the pride of being able to play at home and i know i'm going back in time here on our on our path but i really want to know when you were part of that when there was 19,000 people 18,000 people there what what was that like you know to walk out and know you know, there, there, there's easily probably a thousand people in the stands that are your neighbors and friends. What was that like? That was fantastic. All the media attention that we got too, because we we were out drawing the blues for about four or five yep. seasons. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no, it 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 was, it was fantastic. It just it, incredible to be a, a, a part of that, and it's, it's, it filled you up with pride because it's it's your people watching you, it's your people who are your teammates too. Because really, with the exception of 
with Slobo, uh, Yilmaz, Emilio Romero, uh, Emilio John, who played at Quincy. Carl Rose. Yeah, maybe maybe five, six guys. It was really all St. Louis guys. Yeah, but Carl's really an adopted son. Yeah, he stayed at the Howard Johnson. Yeah, I mean, Tony Glavin became an adopted son. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to let you off the hook. You had four World Cubs. You don't have to tell me food, hospitality. What's your favorite? Of the of the four World Cups that you covered as an analyst, what was your favorite one? Italy, Gosh. the first one. I, I what, what, was it was it just kind of the uh, was it the food was it the yeah. archive? Well, you're right. The, it, 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 yeah, that's all there. It's just the history of the country and 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 the, and the architecture and the and the food and uh, but it was my first World Cup as a broadcaster. It was uh, I didn't make it as a player. Uh, into a World Cup, so, so yeah, it, it it struck it struck me the most, and uh, it you know Nico's now at Lake Como. I'm right. so je- I'm so yeah. jealous. Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful places in the, in the you in the see world. the video of well, him going in there yeah. and like the stadium and where it's situated at course like according to the bay. Yeah, yeah. I'm like there's worse places. Well, quick sidebar. I don't know if you guys noticed this or followed it on socials. He goes to Como, right? Uh, Como, apparently there was a post like, well, St. Louis just doubled your social media followers in 48 <laughs> yeah. hours. Like, legit, I'm like, that is pretty crazy. Yeah, I followed him. Uh, it, it, so, hey, let's let's book in this thing because I, I want to talk about the here and now. Uh, the new crown jewel in town is City SC. Uh, Carolyn and team, uh, what they built, the environment, the team, the experience, the colors, the logos, all of it. They, I mean, they knocked it out of the park. Uh, that's my take as a season ticket holder and a fan. What is what does City SC mean to you? You know, Ty Keo. The Keos are legendary St. Louis names here in the soccer world, and without people like you and your father and your friends, those are the foundational bricks that allowed that to really happen. In my opinion, what does City SC mean to you as a St. Louis so- soccer? Well uh, said. You know, just legend. Well, number one, it was so overdue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. <laughs> the league's been around since '96, right? And, and now we, and we finally had a team, and boy, did they they do it right. I mean, the Taylor family. I mean, just the the, the whole organization. You know what's most? There's a lot of things that are impressive about what happened, but when it really struck me is the first time I came down and, and toured the facility. Well, they take you through the, the, the training areas first yeah. and, and, and the locker rooms and all that. And then you get to enter the stadium from field level because you go under the, the you go through that big, you go under market, into the, that into, giant tunnel. Yeah. I mean, it's not a little tunnel. Yeah, I mean, you can put a tractor trailer in Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. There's this massive tunnel that goes uh, under Market Street and you come in and you you you, you enter at field level because the field level, what is it, 40 feet below street, 40, 40 street below, yeah. 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 And then you look up and you, and you see it. Phenomenal. And, yeah, and, and I wish it had made it just a little bit bigger, maybe, the stadium. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. It, it, I often wonder if they're kicking themselves in the ass for not making it bigger with how fast they sold tickets. I, I said all along they should have done another at least four or 5,000. I mean, they could get yeah. 30, 30 in there for sure, no questions asked. But it's yeah. real easy for me to spend everybody's money. So <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you know anybody that's, like, in your old gig that needs any analysts that I can go <laughs> hang out, hospitality, and announce games terribly, I'd love to do that on somebody else's nickel, but I'm really good at it. Hey, and, <laughs> and City had Berkey. I mean, that, yeah. that was that, that just changed the whole season and, and the whole complexion of the results, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, Ty, I can't thank you enough, man, for joining us. This thank has been so great. Hi, I, I, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that at some point, I think what we need to do is we need to get you and Larry and Patch on 
same time. A part two, because this was the pseudo PG-13 version. I want those rated R stories from back in the day, the <laughs> locker rooms. Yeah. You know, I, we, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wink, wink. Hey, yeah, the uh, road trip from Vegas to California. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. You know what? Nobody was injured when those trips came up. <laughs> when you were going to Buffalo or Cleveland, oh, yeah, my back spotted me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, ver verifiable proof that they did happen. <laughs> hey, Type, uh, good luck with the uh, the multiple grandchildren now, your, your new day job. Uh, we'll be in touch. Appreciate all your time. Uh, Jared, Zach, thank you as thank always. You. Thank, right. you, thanks, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Ty. Real, real pleasure. Th Patch, thanks for hosting us. We'll catch you guys later. And, oh, by the way, uh, still got those Modellos on here, and you know who you, know who you are. You're listening. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Seen him fall